Welcome back to the Australian Jazz and Group Podcast. My name is David Galea. And as usual, we have some great original Australian jazz and groove for you. It's been great to see that many have been discovering new music through this podcast. So please keep on letting us know what you think, who you would like to hear, and if there are any new artists out there that you've discovered that you think we should know about, then please get in touch through Australian Jazz and Groove Podcast at gmail.com. We are always happy to feature some new artists on this podcast. If you would like to get in touch with us, as we said, Australian Jazz and Groove Podcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on our Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for the Australian Jazz and Groove Podcast and you're sure to find us. So, what do we have in store for this episode? Well, we are excited to feature a new recording from the band Barati Four and Carlin on the 20th of November. They'll be releasing their second recording as a group, and that recording is called Haven. The band, as the name suggests, is made up of Kristen Barati, Sean Foran, and Raphael Carlin. On this recording, they also have a special guest, Pascal Schumacher, a composer and jazz musician and percussionist from Luxembourg, and he is featured on vibraphone on this recording. We will be talking to Sean from the group about how the band and this recording came together, as well as how he, in his career, has been able to find the balance between being creative musically with the need to be business savvy and how having a handle on this side of things has helped him and the groups he is involved in tour the world and continue to make recordings. But first, let's listen to a new track from Melbourne band The Putbacks. They have a new recording released this month that features Indigenous soul singer Emma Donovan. We will be talking to members of the band in coming episodes, But if you haven't heard the putbacks, here is a track from their latest release, Crossover, released this month on Hope Street Recordings. It features, as we said, Emma Donovan on vocal, as well as Tom Martin on guitar, Roaring McDougall on drums, Mick Meehan on bass, Justin Marshall on percussion, and Simon Maven on keyboards. So this track is called Pretty One. That one that will be with you in this life, go through the ups and the downs, find a way to stay above, and like the
So that was Pretty One from Emma Donovan and the Putbacks, just released on Hope Street Records, and that album is called Crossover, released this month, so go buy that one. So now to our feature group, and that of Barati, Foran and Carlin. And as we said, they have a new recording out on the 20th of November, and it features special guest Pascal Schumacher on vibraphone. So before we dive into talking with Sean, foreign from the band let's have a listen to one of the new tracks from that recording as we said it's entitled haven and this track is called foreign policy Oh, 
welcome, Sean Forum, to the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast. Hi, Dave. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you along and so much to talk about. And we're going to avoid talking about COVID, I think, because I think everyone's that's, that's talking about yep. it. So, and in 10 years' time, if anyone's listening to this, they'll think, what, what are they talking about? So we won't talk yeah. about COVID-19. Great. But I just wanted to talk to you first. Secondly, about the recording that you've done with Kristen, yourself and Raphael Carlin, Kristen Barati, um, with Pascal Schumacher. I think that's how you mm. say it. But yeah, first of right. all, a little bit about yourself. Um, I've observed the bands you've been in over the years, Misinterpretato, which turned into Trichotomy. I believe that's correct. That's correct. That and as a musician in Brisbane myself, I sort of remember watching you guys um, as a trio misinterpretato sort of go down this contemporary path and then see you guys really make it your own and I wanted to just sort of ask you a few questions about was it how did you take a little trio from Brisbane and really get a chance to tour like you've toured through Europe and Mm. you've you've Mm. recorded multiple albums you've won awards you've won grants like did you think it would get to that point and how did you get there we 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 definitely didn't think it would get to that point um yeah, it's it's a long journey, which is kind of interesting. I mean, that, that's a band that started in 1999, wow, uh, and is and is still playing gigs, you know, all all the time and making. We've got another album that is finished and is in the bag. Very cool. We're just thinking about what to do with it. So, so it's a long it's a long term group, um, and yeah, we never sat down and had like a plan of, okay, like we're going to make this a, a big thing and it's going to go for years that we never, we're going to map out these albums. We never did any of that. Um, which is kind of funny because I probably think that would have been smart. That would have been really good. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, when you're young, you don't, you don't think about that stuff. And, and, you know, I tell my students <laughs> to think about that stuff because I didn't. Um, yeah. But I think we started off, we, we met studying at the conservatorium in Brisbane so we were all, you know, in, in, in the jazz course together. and So just the instrumentation, you're on piano. Yeah. Um, yeah, I play piano. Yeah. drums and now right. Sam Vincent on bass. Sam Vincent on bass. There's been a few different bass players over the years, you know, due to kind of people going in different directions and, and kind of yep. coming and going in the, in the group. Um, we started with James O'Brien playing bass in, in 1999 Um and, and we we were actually together in ensemble, like like the ensemble class, you know, for at the con. music degree at the con, yeah. And it's one of those chemistry things, you know, when you find people that you enjoy playing with, it's just a vibe. And it was a vibe straight away, which is that like that's such an important thing. I still think it's a really important thing that you want to find musicians that resonate with you and that understand you and want to do the same thing. And I think we felt that, like the three of us. So, you know, maybe it was just a really loose conversation of, oh, we should do some <laughs> gigs outside of this class. Like that would be fun, right? Uh, which is how it started. And I think that's probably not an unusual no. way for it to start, right? Um, and so we did that. And then we, we came up with this name, Misinterpretato, which was kind of, <laughs> was kind of funny. It's a ridiculous name. And people seem to really love it. Um, but also, I still love that name. (laughs) Yeah. See, there you go. It it gets a good response, but it was, and it, it, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it went on for quite a while. Right. And then, um, 
this is a, yeah, it's a good story. It's a long story, this one. And then um, we we were playing a lot. We did a lot of gigs and, and we did a lot of stuff around Australia. We were playing down in Melbourne and Sydney and we made quite a few albums. Uh, we, we put them out on the Jazzhead label. It's an awesome label from Melbourne. So it was all fantastic. And, and I think that just kind of steadily, that just built over time. It was just one of those, it felt really natural. Like I I probably took on a little bit of the role of, of the guy who would hunt the gigs. And, and I just, you know, we just started looking for gigs and people were into it and places we'd approach would would enjoy it. And, and it just had a, a momentum of its own, uh, which was cool. So So that, you know, kind of, took quite a few years of making those albums and getting grants and collaborating with people. And, and it was, it was great. This was all just in Australia. And yeah. then at some point, I think it was about 2007 or eight, I, I, I felt that I wanted to go and do some more study uh, overseas. So I kind of, you know, had that need to get outside of the country a bit and, and yeah, do yeah. some stuff. So I moved to England um, to study I really moved there actually specifically to study with this amazing piano player, John Taylor, who's this British, uh, was this British, British piano player. And I, I went, like I went there to, to study with John because I really loved his music. Yeah. Um, so, so we did that. And so that kind of like was a bit of a, bit of a pause in the group. But it was also for me a little bit like a bit of reflection time about where are we going with this group and what are we doing. And I suppose being over there and meeting other musicians and hearing more music and getting that experience of a, a larger musical world coming from having been doing it in Australia was really, was really inspiring and really kind of yeah, and gave us, it gave me another kick, right? Yeah. Like gave us another kick. We, we've been doing cool stuff and it was great, but it was a, another level of like, hang on a second, we can do this over here. Yeah, right. Like that. I suppose before then I didn't think not that I didn't think we were good enough, but I just had never we just never really thought about it or never yeah, really okay. tried it. Yeah. But that that gave me some kind of thoughts that we should try it. Yeah. Um so so we got on a British label, which was kind of out based out of my time there. Like I met some people and, and we got on this British label and and they were really supportive. They they were like wow, you guys are you guys are from Australia? What what what? I don't understand. What is, like how are you from Australia? What is this music? This is good. I, I didn't even like they were kind of surprised that it was that the Australian music was coming out of Australia. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh wow, but, like I've heard of James Morrison and yeah, I haven't heard of anything right. else. So yeah, they were they were really supportive, and and that was a big turning point because that support enabled us to go to the UK and do gigs and unlock some of that stuff over there and actually gives that confidence in, in like, oh, we can, we can play in Europe, we can do this stuff. Um, and so we did. And so that kind of just, we put, it, we put a tour together in the UK, a big tour. Uh, and, and then, you know, there's some reviews for the album in, in things like The Guardian and, and kind of magazines like Jazzwise and, and yeah, things like right. that, which, which was huge, like, you know, um, because we were kind of nobody. And then it was like, what? Who's this this band that no one's heard of with these reviews yeah. <laughs> and this gig at the Vortex and festivals? And so that was that was really that was really good. And that just then kickstarted the next, I suppose, the next phase. Um, did that kickstart you in Australia a bit more too? Like when you came back from that, or did it really not have any connection? It was just that you 
you're already doing a lot here. We, we were already doing a lot here. And, and when I was over in the UK, I wasn't there for super long. I was there for two years. Right. And I suppose I just tried to, it was like I tried to live remotely. Like in Australia, I was still booking gigs in Australia. I think I even came back while I was living over there and we did an Australian tour and then I went back to England. Yeah, right. um, okay. So I was trying to like actually do both. And then when I finally moved back here after two years, it was like, right, we're going back over there and doing some more gigs. Yeah. Um, you know, what? because I've kind of met these people and hopefully set some more of this stuff up. Um, but the kind of crux of this little part of the story is that when we, when we uh, had met this label, um, the label guy said, look, guys, this name is ridiculous. Like, I, can't even, I can't even say it. I can't spell it. No one can spell it, by the way. What does it yeah. mean? You think, <laughs> I British said, oh, it would, you think British would get yeah. it? You know? <laughs> oh, you just, he, he said, what does it mean? And, and I said, oh, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and he was really nice, man. He's like, well, I, I just think well, you've got to really, I'm not saying change it, but I'm saying, can you think about changing it? Can yeah, you really? Yeah, that would yeah. be really great. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose he had a point. Um, so we did think about that and, and we took a lot of time thinking about other names and, and then we came up with Trichotomy, which was, you know, yeah. something split into three parts. Um, yeah, which is also so that, cool. Yeah, that yeah. seemed to make a lot of sense. It was still a little bit different um, but not too weird. Um, and so we changed it, which was a big, yeah, that, I suppose that was hard in Australia because we'd had this, you know, that, that kind of name recognition built up over yeah. 10 years. And then it was, oh, we're changing the name. It's the same band new albums yeah. uh, it was complicated we had two websites and it was all just a bit weird um but so over how long years, ago did that happen like how long have you had trichotomy for now that was in um looking around for an album um i suppose that was in a, a must have been around about 2000 and 2009 so you've got that momentum now like 2020 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that misinterpretator, it's it's gone. There was there was some yeah. times where people would say, "Oh, yeah, misinterpretator." Oh no, like they it would yeah. be both. But yeah. I think a lot of time has passed now, and, yeah. and there's some people, you know, like yourself or musicians, you know, that, that I that we know, you know, that that have kind of grown up with us in Brisbane, um, that that say, "Oh yeah, I know when I've been to your gigs when you yeah. were misinterpretator." Yeah, but yeah. most people wouldn't. I don't think they'd even yeah. know that.
was thinking too, like to organize those tours. And I read on your site about your grant writing. Was there mm. some particular skills that you really had to develop to say, you know, if we're going to do this, I'm going to have to get my head around the whole business side of things. And, and you were talking about your students before. I wanted to sort of ask mm. you too, like, what do you tell, like, how did you get your head around it? And then how do you then pass that on to younger students that, that yeah. say, look, I want, a, I want a career, but I don't, and they just want to play music, but there's a whole other side to it, isn't there? Yeah, it's huge. Like that, that tour, you know, booking your own tour um, or even working with a, with a, you know, an agent or something like that. It's still, it's still a lot of work on your, on your part and, and yeah, a lot yeah. of financial kind of control. Like it's, you've got to know what's going to work. And, you know, we, I think we're all pretty aware of like touring from Australia to the Northern Hemisphere. So, we, you know, we've been in Canada and the States a bit and, and through Europe. It's a major un- financial undertaking. Like just Definitely. getting there, just getting three people there is kind of you know five grand so least, that's yeah. five grand before you start any any gigs yeah so yeah it's quite yeah there's there's a lot of organization so i suppose there's a lot of legwork prior and i tell my students when we're booking those tours you know we've done three big tours through the uk um and we're always starting the planning at least a year before right. um and that's kind of, you know, talking to venues about dates and trying to put a framework in place. Um, and then there's usually like a few kind of key gigs that, that the tour hangs around. So I've okay. usually got a few targets. I'm like, right, this is, this is my target gig. I've got to, I've got to secure this. Um, and then I can kind of build out from that. So I know right. like that's the one where, where we've got the London gig secured and we've got the Manchester gig. And then from there, we can, we can see what sits. Um, but there's also a financial kind of like turning point. You're like, well, I've got that and it's paying, paying this and this one's a guarantee and that one includes accommodations. Like, right, if we can get a few more, it's going to work. Like it's tipping over the balance of this is definitely going ahead. Um, but also like some, some things are booked so far in advance and it's part of like a concert series. Once you, once you book it, you know, you don't want to pull the plug on these people. <laughs> so you've yeah. got to follow through. Um, you committed. You committed, yeah. So that means you've got to work your ass off yep. to book the rest of the tour. You've got to like pull out all the stops. Like we played the last tour, we played in Norway, um, in Estonia, um, and somewhere else, Poland. We had a few, a few, a few wow. gigs in Poland, and you know, and the Norway ones. Like I really want to get this Norway gig, and so like I just did. Like I. I, I was asking Norwegian friends to translate my emails into Norwegian. Yeah. And send, and send them. <laughs> like, yeah. I was doing, I had just like, I have to get this gig. Yeah. Like, I have to get it. Um, and we did. And then, I, you know, I had a friend who was living there, a singer. And then I said, can you get me a gig in Trondheim? Like, oh, I want to go to Trondheim. You need to get me this gig in Trondheim. And then you can come and be a guest at the show. So it's just like doing whatever it takes. It's oh, like I'm you're a negotiator, really... you're a composer, yeah. you're, a, you're, you're a tour manager. So how do you balance all that and be creative? <laughs> yeah. So that's all gonna, that's going to happen like way in advance so that when you get to the, it's like two separate worlds. They're not, yeah. they're not kind of coexisting, they're coexisting, but not in the same moment. Like I'm in my planning, like I might go, right, tomorrow night I'm on tour planning and I'm just at the computer 
just like sending the emails, checking my spreadsheet. I've got a spreadsheet, you know, of all the dates and the replies yeah. and the possibilities and, and then the yeah. financial breakdown. You know, so I'm doing that and I'm not practicing. I'm just doing yeah. that on Tuesday. So yeah, I'm yeah, kind of right. flip-flopping between these things. Um, but, if, but as I said, like the money, like, you know, as much as we'd like to not think about the money, we've got to budget it. We've got to cost it all out. Like what's course, it going to cost yeah. us to get around? We've got to know that, that we can afford this this tour, like we don't want to get there and realize that guys are going to need to put in a couple of thousand dollars, otherwise we're not going to get around. Yeah. Um, so that's hard work. Um, yeah. But it can work with with a lot of prep. Yeah. And and I think we you build that as well. Like you build it over time. Um, like our, each of our tours is kind of built on the previous tour, which right. you know we could you could say that about any tour anywhere. You know, even around Australia, you know that you, your next tour is going to build on the success of your past one and yeah. you're going to have more financial understanding. So I think you get better at it. But I I don't know how I realized, like I studied a little bit of arts admin in, in my background and, and so I certainly, before we even booked that first tour, I was I was just there going, right, like, this we've got to sort this budget out. I've got to sort this this tour itinerary. Like, if we don't do this, this is not going to work. Yeah. So I, I think I feel like I had that understanding, and it just yeah, it's so important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I can imagine if you're teaching some students that as a young, when I was at uni studying the bass, all I wanted to do was mm. play. I didn't want to care about any mm. of that thing. But mm. the ones at, like for you and you, you, you came to a point when you, you thought, hang on, this is, I've got to learn this. So mm. for younger students, that's often a hard mental thing to grasp, isn't it? Yeah, it is a hard thing to, because you might not be good at it or, or like you said, have any real care for it. And, yeah. and you know, maybe someone's going to do it for you. And, and if that's the case, that's, that's great. But I mean, that doesn't maybe happen very that often, <laughs> really, it does it? Doesn't, no, it doesn't yeah. happen very often. Like no one was going to turn to me and say, Sean, like, you guys are great. Do you, wanna, do you want me to book you a tour in the UK? That's right, yeah. That was just not going to happen. It was happen. all on you guys. And even the label, <laughs> yeah, and the label who are based in England, you know, they were great. Like, guys, we love the album. We're going to put it out. Um, love you to do some gigs. Here's a couple of contacts. But they're, they're not going to, you know, we're no. not a rock, we're not a pop band. We're not a mega star. It's not going to happen. They're not so bankrolling full, it. <laughs> yeah. No, they're not. They're really not. So no illusions there, people. They're not, they're not getting bankrolled. Um, so it's on you. It's, yep. it's on you. And that's the same now. Like younger students, if you want to book a tour anywhere, it's on you. Like you can do it. You just have to have that. I feel like you have to have the determination and also the kind of skill in making it happen. Yeah. yeah. Which is also just a bit of just admin control. Like, right, where's my list? Who am I contacting? When am I following up on them? What do I want? What's my plan? Yeah, kind of, which is not, they're not really hard concepts, but I think they just require a bit of organization and, yeah. and a fair amount of dedication. Yeah. That's probably it. Like you just have to be, I just remember with those tours and like any tour um, that, that we've done, I'm just like fully committed to it. <laughs> just, yep. Yep. you know, this will not waver um, from it. Like it's just like, this is happening. Whether people think it is or not, it's happening. <laughs> yeah, that, I think right. that mindset's really important. Yeah, that's awesome. So you've just recorded an album with Kristen Barati yourself and Raphael Carlin called Haven with special guest mm, Pascal mm, Schumacher. Mm. So 
I'm assuming yeah. a lot of the business side relates to that as well, but we won't talk about that so much with the album because it's coming out next month. Is that right? It's coming out next month. It's coming out on the 20th of November. 20th of November. And you've already released yeah. a couple of singles from it. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Two singles, um, one kind of way earlier in the year and I think one around the middle of the year. Um, and so, yeah, so the whole album really soon, which is great. Look, we've had it for a while, so it feels it's really exciting to have it, to have yeah. it out. I'll have yeah. it out soon. So this group, um, Barati, Foran, Carlin, I think that's the yep. order of the names. That's, that's, that sounds good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how long have you guys been together as a group? Because I know you've got previously oh, Hope in My Pocket, which yeah. was a recording. Yeah. So was there, was it much before that? Or have you been no, there wasn't. That was, that was the first album. That was in 2015. And, and we only formed a little while before that. It must have been 2014. Right. Um, we had a gig in Brisbane at the uh, Declassified Music Series, which was a not really nice concert series um, that a musician in Brisbane organised, Briley and, and Raph. Like we'd known, obviously, we'd, we'd known each other for a long time, Kristen yeah. and Raphael, Raphael and myself. And, and, and I think it was Raph who called both of us up and said, oh, I've got this gig at, at this series. Do you guys want to play? I think it would be cool to do a trio thing. So, yeah, that sounds, that sounds lovely. That's really, really nice. Uh, maybe Raph didn't know that I'm a really big fan um, of a trio of a really similar instrumentation yeah. um, called Azimuth, which has, okay. um, which has that, that piano player, John Taylor, in it, um, and a British singer, Norma Winston and Tony Coe plays clarinet and saxophones uh and so i really love that band um so I'm like yes i get to do my own version yeah, of that that's cool. awesome Raphael. so um so we did this gig and it was and it was a lot of tunes of Raphael's and maybe one of mine one of Kristen's, and and again it's just that that gel right of that musicians that, yeah. yeah and so it was so lovely and it was kind of quite intimate, kind of, you know, ballady kind of music and like the ECM vibe, I suppose we call it. Um, and we just instantly said, oh, it's really good. This is really nice. We should, we should do this more. Like, this is a thing. This is great. Are you guys into it? Is this a thing? Yeah, and, yeah. and so we all said, yeah. And it was good timing. Like Kristen, who had lived in Sydney previously for quite a while, um, was back in Brisbane uh, and Raphael also had lived away. He'd been in the UK as well and he was back. So it was just his timing, which is so yeah. important. And, and so, yeah, so we did that and we said, let's make it a thing. Um, and then from there, hope in my pocket uh, in 2015. So it's five which, years since you recorded that. Yeah. Well, wow. well, yeah, well, yes, it was. I mean, we recorded Haven in 2017, actually. Right. It's just okay. been, been yeah. sitting around, not sitting around, but, you know, we've been trying to find the time to release it. Yeah. And hilariously, when do we decide in the middle of the <laughs> pandemic? That's <laughs> genius. <laughs> You're not the only but, one, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we did Hope in My Pocket in, in 2015 and then Haven in 2000. We recorded in 2017. So listening to Haven compared to Hope in My Pocket, and I did some reading about Hope in My Pocket and how you went and did some research as a group to mm. about the Anzac stories. Yeah. And... I was wondering, did you have that sort of informed approach to Haven? Was there a source material that you had for that mm, as well? Good, good question. We because Hope in My Pocket, as you, as you say, is about the Anzac story. We had this idea of what would it be like if we wrote 
songs based on letters. So we went to the archives in Brisbane and read these Anzac letters, which was obviously a very intense experience. And you can look at all the letters and stories from these Mm -hmm. like young men and families and and everyone. And and then we write the songs based on that. Um, And so when we came to write, it's time to do another album. The first, the first question was, oh, are we going to, is it going to be a theme? Like, are we going to, how are we going to, Follow that that theme, and so what we actually decided was there is no way we can follow that theme because yeah. it, it was so uh, emotionally not draining, but just it had such a strong um, connection with the source material. Yeah. And so I think we felt like if we did another album that was drawn out of a theme, it w- it would almost be a little bit you know, kind of token that we've just gone, oh, here's our next, here's our next theme that we've decided. Our next topic is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We've decided to write songs about the ocean. Um, And and so we just went, it's like, no, we're not doing it. We're just not doing that. Um, That, that album needs to stand on its own and be something, something special. And so the next thing we, we talked about as a band was, well, like if we want to make this album different, which we really, really wanted to do, um, let's bring in someone, you know, someone else, someone we'd really love to play with. Uh, and so we had that really fun meeting together where we sat around and went, well, who would you like to play with? And yeah. we had this great <laughs> list of musicians like, oh, what about this person? Um, and, you know, tossed all these names around. Um, and we, we each made our own individual lists actually before we okay. came to the meeting, right? And then when we get there, all of us had Pascal Schumacher on our list. Well, that would have taken the decision-making out of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was, you know, so we talked about a lot of people, but then we're like, oh, we all, we all wrote Pascal. I mean, surely I just asked Pascal. Um, was he living in Brisbane at the time? No, no. So he's, he lives in Luxembourg. So you brought um, him out for the recording? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so we just, and we, you know, we had met him before. Um, funnily enough, like, like Kristen had stayed with, or, or knew his bass player quite well from, from some time she was in Europe. And Pascal's band and Misinterpretato played a double <laughs> bill in Melbourne many years ago. Wow. On his first trip to Australia, which is just wild. Um, like this is a lot, it's like over, it's probably 10, yeah, probably 10 years ago. It's right, maybe around 2007 or six, seven, first time he came. And so it was kind of funny that, you know, there's this long connection. So, so I emailed him and said, hey, Pascal, you know, it's me. <laughs> you might not remember me, but um, <laughs> this is who I am. And, and he said, oh, yeah, I, of course I remember you. That's, that's cool. And, and, of course, I remember Kristen and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, yes, this sounds like a, a lovely idea. I'd, you know, I'd love to come to Australia and play with you guys. That, that sounds like a ball. So we were, th- we were really you know, just thrilled that that was the case. Um, but again, like this is like a reverse tour now, right? So we're bringing this guy <laughs> from Europe. So we've got to fund his trip. Like he wants to get paid, obviously, and he needs to be flown out here and accommodated and travel around with us and, and do a recording. So we actually were going to do a bunch of gigs and a recording. So it's like, oh, well, it's the same deal. It's like you've got to cost the tour. You've got to fund yeah. it um, and all that stuff. So we got some funding. We're fortunate to get some funding from Arts Queensland and, and we costed it all out and, and timed it all out. And it's just it's the same thing. Like it's, it's really honestly no different. Maybe even a little more complicated because you're taking care of this musician who, you know, is not just a 
one of the one of the people you know in Brisbane. He's like this European um, star, yeah. uh, and so we really want to want to take care of him and make sure he has a good time and he feels valued and and that he's paid and treated appropriately. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. So so that's what we organised, but but crazily. <laughs> because Pascal's busy and we're busy and the festival's on at a particular time and, you know, just all these stars have to align for this project to happen, as it is with so many projects, I find. Like, the timing is everything. Um, so he says, yeah, I can come, but I can really only, I can arrive on this day and I've got to leave on this day. Okay. <laughs> and so we can do the gigs here, here and here and we can do the recording here and that's just like it's either that or we just can't do it. So that's, that's what we did. So it was an extremely, like, I think he was here for five days. So how did you get you the know. music together for it then? Like, did he have any, mm. did you have the tunes written or did he have some sort of musical input compositionally? What, what, how does that happen in such a short time frame? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really hard for it to happen in a short time. We had, uh, Raf and Kristen and I said, right, let's write a few songs each. You know, it's just, which is what we kind of did on the last album. And, and I think we really like that in this group that we just kind of each contribute as composers um so we wrote i think three songs each uh and and kind of tossed them around ourselves like it's like oh this is what i'm writing what do you think about this like this is pascal's part it's going to be this part and and then we kind of rehearsed them a little bit as a trio then we sent some demos to pascal like super loose kind of demos either like sibelius play-alongs or rough recordings of us playing I don't even know if you listen to them. <laughs> but but um, then, you know, I think we, you hope as a writer, I certainly hope as a writer, and I've learned this from collaborating with people in recording sessions, that you hope that your music is written well enough that it can be played um, without like this super long rehearsal time. Like, and I think maybe when you're younger, there's this time for that. When you get a bit older, there's just not time for that. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> and professional musicians like, uh, who are busy don't, really don't have time for that. Um, so they want something that they can play. Uh, doesn't mean it has to be easy, but something that they can play and they can prep and it's going to sound good. It's well prepared. The charts are well prepared. You have a clear understanding of what you want yep. and that we can get it together quickly and musically. Which is what we did. It was basically, here's your chart. Let's have a play. That, that's cool. What do you think about that? Let's change some stuff. You know, we certainly, in a rehearsal together, tried different things. And then we had a, a gig to kind of road test the, the songs at a gig, which was awesome. Um, so we just played them together at the gig and then did the recording the next day. So Pascal was, you know, he's, he's an amazing musician. So he was able to bring his his style and ideas to this music in an extremely short space of time um but hope but we really wrote them with him in mind i suppose that's probably the, the part okay. i can say like we, we wrote these songs going right right this is for pascal for the vibraphone for him not for okay, anyone cool. for him so what like how's this going to work and we tried to really think about writing songs that would that would work for him that would complement his way of playing and our way of playing and and kind of utilize a piano and a vibraphone, which is just such a cool combo, you know. If you, yeah. I'm sure you listen to modern jazz quartet and, yep. and things like that where you've got this harmonic layering, which is fantastic, plus melodic parts. Like it's almost, you know, it's like two pianos. Um, so like we want to take advantage of that.
So with Hope in My Pocket, there was a lot more lyric content, mm. lot lyrics. So with this mm. one, I noticed that Kristen really, of course, there's No Shepherd Lives Here, which has got lyric content, yep. which I'd love yep. to know what, if, a loose sort of idea of what that means, that tune. I yeah, love sure. Yeah. But did you, did Kristen sort of treat her voice in her compositionally a little bit more like an instrument in this recording because you had that extra layering? You're absolutely right. Um, you know, we talked about lyrics and Kristen is such an intuitive writer. You know, she doesn't, she really doesn't force anything. I, I like, I love these moments where she comes into rehearsal going, oh, I've kind of got this idea and she'll sketch it out <laughs> on the piano. <laughs> I'm like, Kristen, it's amazing. Like, what? That's, oh my God. It's more than you an know, idea. So she, yeah, it's more than an idea. Like, she's just such a natural writer. And so we talked about lyrics and I remember saying, like, are you going to write some lyrics, Kristen, for these songs? And she said, I don't know, I don't, like, I'm not, I'm really not hearing lyrics on them. I just, I don't think so. I mean, maybe if it feels like it, if it's right. And so she wrote No Shepherds Live Here and then the rest, it just, it just didn't, you know, it didn't come with the songs, which is really interesting. So we kind of at one point went, oh, we've only got one song with lyrics. Is that, (laughs) should we get more? And then we just, we just said to each other, well, no, that's like, that's the music that has yeah. come together. Like that is the real music that has been created for this. We're not going to force some lyrics, you know, in a false way over some melody you've written. Mm. So it was, it was just really like this was what it, what it naturally um, was written, I suppose. And, and I think when I hear that, like it's such a lovely combination of the voice and the vibraphone and the saxophone, yeah. like with all these kind of interweaving melodies and they blend in such a really complementary, really interesting way. Kristen carries a melody, a lot of vocalists that need to have lyrics, don't they? But she yeah. seems to be able to sort of interpret a melody without lyrics beautifully. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Like I don't, it doesn't feel like it's needed to, to give that melody weight. And, and when I wrote some tracks for the album and I gave them to Kristen, you know, I never, some of mine I really didn't expect her to write a lyric. I just kind of heard it. I thought, oh, it's going to sound beautiful with Kristen's voice. Like I, I yeah. wasn't didn't have a, a need or an expectation that there would be lyric. Um, so it's, it's interesting because it's so different to the first album, which I suppose because of the content of the letters, it was very lyric heavy. Yeah. Uh, and this one is kind of the, the real opposite, which is maybe a lovely thing that they're so, that they're so different. Um, Do you think that that helps that first album stand more on its own as a subject? Because yeah, now with it, this one, you have gone in a slightly different direction. It's still the same voices, but mm, you've... Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I really, you know, in the broader picture of what I do with with albums that I am part of, um, I, I really want each album to have its own Definitely. sound and its, yep. its own life, like its own kind of sonic recording sound, but also its own like content and feel and and what is this album trying to be? Um, and so I loved it. It's like wow, that's that's this lyric heavy thing with this like super um, ECM ballad and this has got this textual approach and yep. just just really trying to make it stand out. And I think if I'm buying albums and listening to albums, I want I want them to be different. Every every one I want it to have its own its own individual sense of style. Um, so yeah, hopefully that that comes across in what I do. Yeah. So you seem to have whether it's deliberate or not. There's like stru- you've structured space in the sound. So. It's very restraint. There's a lot of restraint seems to be in the compositions where you haven't tried to go too. Well, this is to my ears anyway. And talking to someone the other day about composition and it's that restraint that is the hard thing to get as a composer. Is that what you find or is it something that comes naturally to you? You know, when I was much younger, I had some lessons, a series of lessons in Melbourne with Andrea Keller, who's a fantastic, a a really amazing composer. Yeah, she is. Um, and I had like I would go down there once a month for quite a few months, and I had this this long kind of lesson with her, and it, and it was so I got so much out of it. And one of the things I really got out of it was the restraint. She and she would say these things to me like, no, 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 no. When you go to play, do not play. And then when you go to play again, no, do not play. And then when you go to play the third time, <laughs> okay, then then you can play. But re- you need to really think about what you're playing, and it's got to contribute, and, and it's got to mean something. And so I, I kind of, I suppose that started to really influence the way I play big, big time, you know, and this trying to play with more space and, and, and maybe that then also kind of influenced the writing, just trying to like, what's happening here? Um, you know, what is, what is the music saying at this point? Like, what, what are these notes for? Like, why do I need all these notes? Um, yeah. that was so much about it. And then later on again, I have a vivid memory being, uh, with this, this awesome, French piano player whose name has just suddenly escaped my mind. My story <laughs> it's is dissolving without his name. Um, it's age, don't worry. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, it's so close. It's Baptiste, Baptiste Trottignon, uh, who, who's uh, he's amazing. And, and I'm playing this composition for him and he's looking at it. He's like, well, what's this? What, why is this chord here? And, and why are you repeating this section? And, where's the development here and, you know, just kind of core compositional stuff. And it's good to be reminded of those Definitely. things, yeah. you know, you, that you, you know that we've been taught and, and it's, it's you know, keep coming back. Um, so I think that sense of restraint and that sense of like what's happening in the music, what's important in the music is really critical. And I think if the music feels careful and restrained, Certainly for this group, like of course style dependent, but for this group, that's what we want. That's what, that's what I want. So what do you got coming up as a group? Do you have another recording project in mind or not that you want to necessarily reveal that, but are you still sort of thinking ahead as a group? Yeah, def- definitely. Um, you know, with this, with this album, because we recorded it in 2017, you know, now it's here, which is awesome. And I think we're just really deep in this focus of like let's have it, let it have its time in the sun. 
uh, I certainly tell my students, like, you spend all this time and effort on writing your music and recording it and making it really the best mix and everything, and that's all good. You need to spend that time and effort promoting your music. It's just so crazy that you would labour over, like, how good the mix is and then not care about it when it's out and you just kind of go, yeah, here's my album, everyone's cool. That's what I did back then. <laughs> yeah, I'm bored of it now. Like, no, no, this is the most important time. Mm. So, so we're really pretty focused on that. And I think we'll stay focused on that for, for a while. I think we just think, you know what, this album is going to have a longer, possibly a longer life than what it might have originally had in normal kind of album time frames. And it's like, right, let's really, let's really showcase it both here and abroad. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Sean, for um, coming on and talking about your career. And I'm sure a lot of people are really going to benefit from your insight into the other side of it, not just the creative side, but the, let's call it the business side of things. Yeah, yeah, it's so important. Well, to take us out, we're going to listen to No Shepherds Live Here. So would you be any sort of sort of back stories on this track at all? It's it's a, it's a, it's a darkish backstory. This one. I figured it would be, so you don't have yeah. to get too dark. <laughs> yeah, I won't. I won't get too dark. Um, but Kristen wrote it um, for a friend, uh, right. and you know, it kind of tells a bit of an emotional story. And I think it. You know, if you listen to the lyric, it. it yeah, I think you'll understand the this, this story. Yeah. But hopefully, it's balanced with the lightness of the vibraphone. That, so it doesn't kind of end up to be. Yeah, kind of I, really it doesn't come back. across as a depressive song. It's just yeah, if you take yeah. your time to listen to the lyrics, you're like, there's definitely a story here. Yeah. But the music yeah. is really lifting it up. It's sort of like mm. there's still a hope in the in the music, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think walking that line is, is I don't know, a really interesting way to go as a musician to try to and then let people take from it what, what they what want. They want. And, yeah. And, and walk, yeah, and walking this line in between where people can you know, feel their own emotions from, from the work. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Sean. Appreciate it so much. My mate. pleasure. And, and oh, it's, um, it's been super fun. All the best with uh, the group and any other recordings coming out. And we look forward to hearing them. And let's listen now to No Shepherd Lives Here. Thanks, mate. Awesome. He found the way 
strikes again No shepherds live here No 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 Shepherds Live Here. That was absolutely killer. And Kristen Barati's vocals there on display and her lyric writing from the latest recording from Barati Foran and Carlin entitled Haven. And also great to talk to Sean about that album. Well, what have we got to finish off the show today? Well, we have a track from Cooking with Three Burners, a Melbourne-based funk trio featuring Dan West on guitar, Ivan Choi Kachoyan, on drums and Jake Mason on Hammond organ and special guest vocalist Kylie Aldist. And this is taken from Lab Experiments Volume 1. And this is a track entitled More Than a Mouthful. So this is Cooking with Three Burners.
So that was Cookin' with Three Burners, Melbourne-based funk trio, and a track called More Than a Mouthful, which featured, as we said, Kylie Aldist on vocals. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast. I would like to thank Sean Foran for spending time talking to us about the new Barati Foran Carlin recording entitled Haven. So go and buy that when it comes out on November 20. And also, please go and buy any other music that you've liked, that you've heard. And not only their music, buy their whole albums, their back catalogues, whatever you can to support these artists because we know that that's how they survive and how they continue to make this beautiful music. And also, if you'd like to have your music featured on this podcast, please get in touch at australianjazzandgroovepodcast at gmail.com. But that's it, folks. Episode number six is in the bag. It's been great having you along for this episode. And as we said, hope you've enjoyed the music. But until next time, it's bye for now.